0: Welcome back to another episode of Tank Talks. On this week's episode, we skip the interview and go right to the Weekly Rundown Show with John Ruffalo. All right, John, it's another year. 2024 is here. We missed you for the last couple of weeks and a lot of things happened in the tech and venture world. I think we should start off maybe with the CEO shuffle of musical chairs that we're seeing hitting a lot of the startups, and scale-ups across the venture and startup world. You know, in the first few weeks of the year, we've seen the CEO and CROs of Top Hat leaving, We just saw the CEO of Flashfood stepping aside, saw the CEO of MindBridge stepping down, even though that was maybe anticipated. seems like some of this is a mixture of people are just getting a bit older, they've spent eight to 10 years doing something and they want to move on. And it also feels a little bit like maybe we should bring in a new coach uh, because things just aren't working. We need to rebuild the muscles
1: that we forgot about maybe for the last few years. So what do you think (laughs) is going on here? I don't like to overly conclude because there there could be a variety of different reasons, but what I was expecting. So, you know, you have this big ride, everything is wonderful. Everybody virtually hits a wall at the same time. You want to get, navigate around that wall. And then you're kind of back looking up going, Jesus, I got to do this all over again. Do I have the, the desire, the intestinal fortitude? Am I the right person? And I think a lot of those questions, not only arise with the CEOs themselves, but with the boards who might have run out of ideas as well, too. So it's just like the hockey team that says, Jesus, we're getting clobbered every time. Well, it's easier to change the coach than it is the entire team. So I wonder if there's some of that that's going on.
0: Yeah, it feels like that. And I also think, you know, things we don't really talk about very often is founder flight in startups, that risk of a founder just saying, you know what, I've tried my best. It's been five years. Let's just sell the damn thing because I don't have another five to 10 years in me. And sort of that happens a lot in Canada, probably more than it does in the US almost because one, the outcomes are not as big. Two, sometimes they take a little bit longer because they don't grow as fast. And the capital that's coming in or the buyers coming in aren't as you know available as they are maybe in the US. So I agree. I'm not too shocked to see this stuff happening. It's happening very quickly at the beginning of the year. I also think what's happening is that, you know, we saw companies that said they had 18 to 24 months of runway at the beginning of sort of the meltdown. Well, you're now down to less than 12 months, given that a year has gone by. And if things aren't looking good, you you probably want to just get off the ship if it is sinking, or maybe you want to
1: try to bring in new blood that can revive it, right? Yeah. And, and Matt, one thing that I would love to do analysis I haven't done is there is a difference between a founder-led CEO versus is it the second person already coming in? Because the motivations tend to be very, very different. That would be an interesting comparison to see where is that real churn happening. This is going to
0: put boards in a very different situation than they've been before when it comes to ESOP and equity grants for non-founder CEOs. Because founder CEOs, they come in with their 25, 50%, depending on how many founders they start the business with. So it's never really a big re up conversation or a new ESOP issuance for companies. But now you've got new CEOs who are not founders coming in with zero to start. What's, what's the benchmark, right? And what is it worth these people? If the, if the prep stack's so high and they're getting commons, how do you even value that, right? It's a very interesting dynamic for boards to, to learn on uh, uh, during this transition. You know, changing gears a little bit. Uh, positive news coming out of the private uh, finance and private equity world is AGF Private Capital acquiring a majority stake in Kensington Capital for forty-five million. Now, some people don't really understand how these transactions get culminated. I've seen obviously how assets like this get done, and I believe you as as well. So maybe you know, I'll set the stage and you explain how these transactions actually get valued because valuing an asset manager like Kensington is very different than valuing a startup that has like SaaS revenue. So just to set the stage, AGF is a very well-known asset manager, multiple billions of dollars under management, you know, covering hundreds of thousands of clients around the world with offices in Canada and the UK. Kensington is a uh, Toronto-based private equity and venture capital fund manager with fund-to-fund and LP checks, as well as direct private equity checks uh, their private equity business has done exceptionally well, and I believe that's the majority of the business. Uh, and venture capital is like the Vicky money, and they manage some BC uh, tech money uh, for for them as well. So explain how a transaction of 51% buyout of, I guess, the management company of Kensington comes together and how they typ- typically value these types of businesses.
1: So again, I, I don't know uh, any details about inside of EGF. Or, or Kensington, but let me just kind of give you a high level. AGF focuses in on the public markets. So they're looking at, they needed to get more uh, alternative asset muscle into the organization. I could see that. Kensington, exactly what you just said, has two businesses, the private equity, much more steady, eddy business. There's management fees coming in, plus there is the carry from dispositions of buyout private equity. Then you have the much smaller venture dollars that have very high volatility, so much less management fees. The carry potential could be higher, but it's also much more binary. So what they're really doing is they're valuing the future cash flows of the management company based on, in essence, the LP contracts that they have, and i suspect there is uh some view that they could with with agf behind them they could attract even more capital and together they can grow so so that's likely the strategy uh behind this it is interesting that those that are in the public sphere the fees going to them has continually to, uh, to compress due to technologies basically doing all of the trading and where the profitability is, is in the privates. And you just, all you have to do is look at BlackRock, Blackstone, and see, you know, Brookfield, see where they're going. And it's all in managing private uh, companies, not the publics.
0: Yeah, exactly. There aren't many options in Canada as there are in the US to access the liquid private markets, if you will. You know, and this alternative strategy that Kensington has obviously done very well at is allowing AGF to staple it onto their broader AGF platform to basically give this a la carte choice to their asset management clients and also diversification away from that lower MER management expense ratio that continues to go down on the funds that they're managing in different buckets. As we know, in venture capital and private equity, the 2 and 20 model has pretty much held true for quite some time here. And that means 2% a year on management fees, on committed capital, uh, not on actually paid in capital, and then twenty percent of of profits that get generated on top of the initial capital return to investors. So that's also a bit of a dynamic that maybe they're trying to take advantage of with
1: capital that's sitting on their platform, right? Yeah, and Matt, this is uh, we talked about us about a year ago. We were talking about you're going to see the bifurcation of the very very big asset managers, and then nothing in the middle, largely, and then there's going to be at the end, specialists and it's this barbell approach. AGF is going to is is really saying we better get into the game now. We've got this distribution, so let's just see if we can leverage more products across our distribution channel.
0: Yeah, it's a great example of sort of how the U.S. cottage industry of venture capital has bifurcated between the asset gatherers, the beh- behemoths of you know asset gathering, Sequoias and Iconics. There was a big Substack written about this recently. How about the venture industry is going to be split or is being split between the asset aggregator you know venture funds and the cottage industry style venture funds, which is being done out of a, a shed uh, where you're doing small kind of mom and pop deals. I guess that's you know who we are at ripple in a way <laughs> is that and and that's totally fine with us. It works very well for us, yeah,
1: but to be honest, you know my view is it's the, the division is asset gatherers versus investors. Fair
0: enough. Exactly. You know, speaking of investors who've been gobbling up a lot of great uh, SaaS businesses in Canada for quite some time is US-based JMI Equity, private equity firm, just bought out safe software, uh, strategic investment, quite significant investment in a 30-year-old data integration company. Wow, haven't heard that term in a while. (laughs) You know, the financial terms were not disclosed, but the globe was saying that the stake was worth more than 200 million US for a 50% stake in uh, safe software pretty incredible. You know, Surrey, BC business, probably not on many people's radars, but JMI continues to find great SaaS businesses with pretty good margins, I'm sure, to gobble up from uh, founders and and employees. You know, what do you make of this? And do you think we'll see more of this in the future?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Again, the prediction is you're going to, whether you're public companies were seeing the 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 privatization largely from private equity funds this was interesting in that there was no venture dollars in there that's that's the interesting part of this particular story but there's a lot of companies out there where the VCs are either tapped out or the business has somewhat stalled and there's an opportunity to come in and to invest in the business and help reignite it so i think 2024 you're going to see a lot of this Now, the vast majority of the businesses, though, that are not good businesses will just go off on the wayside. The interesting thing on the safe business was the margins. I can't remember what it was, but 200 employees or something like that on a 70 million US dollar SaaS business. If I remember, very good productivity and no venture capital. When there's no venture capital in there, you can actually price a reasonable deal and what's reasonable for the founder. So, yep, that's interesting. There's not very many of those in Canada though. No. They all seem to be coming out of BC. <laughs> yeah, no, BC's got some that, you know, some nuggets in there. So, no, it's a great great company and good for JMI. They've been doing this in Canada for 30 years and uh, you know, kudos to them.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of venture capital and sort of how the the waters get muddied sometime. Carta had a big snafu last week in the U.S., and this was just another example of how crisis management is going to be at the top of board's agendas going into this year and the future. So to set the stage for our listeners who haven't followed, Carta is a cap table management software platform that a majority of startups use. They simplify the way that share certificates get issued, signed, converted. They allow safes to get managed properly and convert into priced equity rounds They allow venture funds to see their entire portfolios or just individual investors. And the goal has always been from co-founder Henry Ward's vision to turn this into the NASDAQ of private markets. Um, That was always something that they, they knew they were trying to get to, but they pushed it off for a while. And to be honest, the business was actually quite good. You know they were saying they were doing 365 million ARR, obviously very, very highly valued based off of the recent valuation. I think from Tiger six seven point four billion by Silver Lake, uh, Tiger and Andreessen. But that aside, you know 1,500 headcount, big company for you know 365 million of revenue. But what happened was there was emails that were leaked and shared by Linear Software CEO on Twitter saying that there are. People from the private markets division of Carta reaching out to his cap table trying to drum up interest on the su- supply side or on the demand side, whatever side, doesn't matter, to try to create a private market exchange. Now, we all know that private markets are very uh, hard to access sometimes. you know There have been a lot of people that try to do it in secondary markets and brokers around, but they're really hard to get transactions completed, and Carta was always best positioned to win because they had visibility into the cap table. They knew exactly how many shares are outstanding. And they were most likely to get the shares approved because they have to pass rofer at the board, right? A first refusal. So they were trying to get in front of this. And then all of a sudden the CEO says, what the fuck? How are you reaching out to my entire cap table? I never gave you permission, even though it was probably in their terms and conditions, which nobody read. And two, at least give me a heads up and tell me that you're trying to create liquidity in my company and bringing new investors onto my cap table that I didn't know about. So a total you know, misstep by their secondary markets division. And then the CEO goes out and makes a terrible, terrible apology saying it's in our terms and conditions. You know, uh, This was a one-off rogue employee. It wasn't a rogue employee. There were many emails going around. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, he certainly gets the boneheaded uh, CEO uh, of the month uh, award. Let, let me give you a few comments. Number one, this whole idea of a you know a private market this is the third decade where you know for those of you who are old enough to remember the hot company before was called second market I don't know if you remember that late 1990s all of these have blown up you know it sounds really good but it sounds really good in very very hot markets where everybody gets really excited to unload whether it's employees on their you know stock that they're holding or option holders, what have you. In markets that are either flat or decreasing, it implodes. So that's number one, why they were betting on that uh, when they have a 365 million ARR business is beyond me. Number two, can you imagine the folks at NASDAQ Looking at all of the trading information and then trying to be the market maker themselves because they they are privy to information about the company et cetera it's unbelievable. The third thing is how would you like behind your back if you are the CEO or founder of a company and there are people that are engaging in trades that you have no idea who the buyers are on this. You have zero control. That's what's being part of a private company. That's the advantage of being a private company provides you and you get nothing for it. If it's employee liquidity, that's different because if you want to get your employees a little bit of cash, because, you know, uh, they want to diversify their holdings, you know, I am much more sympathetic on that, but I just think this was a disaster all around. And the last thing I would just say Dude, CEO, I don't know you, but when you screw up like that and using the rogue employee theory, Jesus, I don't know whether you're incompetent or looking stupid, but don't do that. Just simply say, you know what? We got overzealous. You're right. I don't think they needed to kill the business, which surprised me. What they could have done is actually involve the company to do this and, you know, see where the business goes. So anyways, he had to kill it because it was
0: so small. It was like a $2 million business. It was so small. He had to kill it to save face.
1: Yeah, but you know what? You killed it. But yet, not even a year ago, you talked about it being the future of the company. So I'm not sure that you needed to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But personally, I don't think that business was going to go much anywhere, anywhere. And maybe that's the conclusion.
0: Yeah. There's three main reasons why a secondary market, a pure secondary market, will never work, in my opinion. One is price discovery. The price discovery in private markets is the feature, not the bug, meaning that the, the, part, the parties that are negotiating price do it together. There's no public discovery in price, and that is a feature, not a bug for a lot of companies. Number two, you have com- competition between primary and secondary investments. When primary capital goes into a business, it goes to benefit the treasury of the business. And when there's secondary liquid markets happening, no new investors are going to want to put primary capital in. It's going to the secondary. And the last but not least, so it's it's competition they don't want as a founder. And the last but not least is founders want to know who's on their cat table. It is a benefit of private markets that yes, we wish there was more liquidity in private. Everyone wants liquidity, but that is the benefits of why liquidity doesn't happen and so what i think mike uh, morgan stanley i believe yes yeah, morgan stanley has done very well is the secondary market transactions for tenders they are the leader in tender offers for private markets and i think tender is different but i think that, that, that what you said though employees needing to get liquidity is something that startups are notoriously bad at they're getting better uh, in recent weeks we've seen you know uh, i think SpaceX does one every quarter so they're like by far leading the charge but then we just saw recently that Canva is going to do a billion dollar employee tender offer that's huge for for Canva early employees at the last valuation i believe of 26 billion so you've got you know private liquidity coming to these obviously best of breed companies yeah. I think the tender market is where secondary private market should play.
1: Yeah. 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 I agree with that. Yeah. Totally.
0: So um, one thing, I don't know, you saw the headline, it was, it was a pretty big number. So the IMF came out recently and said that AI is going to disrupt 40% of all jobs. I'm just going to leave that there and say like IMF, you know, focus on what you focus on for one thing. I mean, Davos is a joke in my, in my humble opinion already, but when you come out and make this splashy headline, that nearly forty percent of jobs globally could be affected by developments and in artificial intelligence for better or for worse. What the fuck does it
1: even mean? Well, you know what my stat is? A hundred percent. Because AI is gonna touch every what does that really mean? Like, does it mean that we're gonna have a net reduction in our workforce by forty percent? Is that what you're saying? You're absolutely right. You know what? No one cares about Davos really, so they put that headline in there. I, I, I When I saw that, I just kind of went, I shrugged my shoulders and went, move on, move oh. on to the next. Please, please, oh. someone
0: just yeah. cancel.
1: Now when Scaramucci's doing a wine uh, a wine uh, tasting, I don't know if you've heard that. That was the big news. He did a <laughs> wine tasting event, but then that was ran the out of news. wine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, market moron.
0: Quantitative tightening, I guess. Is I know. What, is yeah, is he a quant
1: guy already, or I don't
0: exactly. All right, John. Thanks so much for joining us in the tank today. All
1: right, take care. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tank Talks. We hope you found today's conversation as insightful as we did. If you're enjoying the show, we've got three quick things to ask of you. First, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Podcast or YouTube. Next, follow us and stay up to date on upcoming episodes and behind the scenes content on social media with Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And lastly, share the love. If you found value in today's episode, share with a friend or colleague who'd benefit too. Your support helps us bring in more amazing guests and keeps the Tank Tots engine running. That's it for today. Until next time, keep disrupting and innovating.